You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Good afternoon, and welcome to the September 24th, 2021 edition of uh, American Theatre Offscript, our biweekly uh, Facebook chat and now podcast. I'm Rob Weiner Kent. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I'm the editor in chief of American Theatre Magazine, and I am here with. I'm J.R. Pierce, associate editor of American Theatre Magazine. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. And I am coming to you from, uh, actually, I'm recording from the streaming from the uh, the land of the uh, Mass Beth and Rockaway in Queens. The photo behind me, the wonderful autumn colors, is from Central Park. So I'm cheating there a little bit, but it's autumn in New York all over. And JR, where are you, where are you coming in from? Uh, I am in Chicago, as my background continues to show, uh, which is on the <laughs> land of the Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria. I don't see any fall, fall colors there, JR. You got you to update your. Uh... I gotta find a fall one. I gotta find a fall one. I'm hoping to go on an architecture tour soon, and then I can oh, take cool. my own photo. That'll be kind nice. of fall feeling. We'll see. That'll be great. Well, um, as you might gather, this is our fall preview edition, and we just we just put out uh, this past week uh, an online version of the fall preview that we used to that used to be a staple of American Theater Magazine for decades. I actually was trying to look back. I don't have the stats of when we actually started. It was we started the magazine in '84, and we started to do season listings in a separate publication, actually, uh, that TCG published even before AT, and they merged at some point in the in the '90s. So, in any case, I can say for decades there was a print edition that came out every October that gave a a big, lavish, splashy look forward to the season. Um, our last one was 2019. We're looking forward to an exciting 1920 season, as we all know what happened to that. Um, last uh, year, last fall, actually, you know, I think I got a little trouble saying there was no season. I said in my editorial, there's no season to speak of. A lot of theaters were producing things online, even uh, on stage, in person, various ways of connecting with their audiences. But there wasn't quite, there wasn't in any sense a field-wide season, right? Um, certainly not in New York and in major, major cities. Um, so that there's also no way for us to really, we tried to keep up with a weekly listing of what's online, uh, what you could watch online, uh, which was difficult. Um, but so it was hard to, hard to get our minds around everything that's happening around the, the country. It's exciting to, to report that we, we, you know, finally got our act together, our ducks in a row, whatever the cliche you want to use, to create season listings. Um, you can go on our, our website and look at the, a page called On US Stages. And it's a complete listing of everything that's on stage now through next summer, everything that people are planning to put on stage. And that includes virtual stages, digital stages, uh, it includes uh, outdoor events, special events, any kind of programming that theaters are doing. And I can report as I do in my, in my ed note that, so, you know, for point of comparison, our last season preview issue had 385 TCG member theaters uh, listing about uh, 2,200, 2,300 uh, uh, programming entries, right? Um, this 
this coming season, which is, as we all know, is, we're in the midst of a bit of uncertainty about it. It's happening, but we're everyone's sort of crossing their fingers that there are not more outbreaks and that theater can, can proceed as, as planned. Um, it's about not, it's about 210 give or take theaters and uh, uh, that participated with about a thousand entries. Actually, they, since we posted this uh, package on Wednesday, we've unsurprisingly got an influx of people saying, oh, I wanna be in the listing too. So that listing is a, quite a picture of theaters resilience and, and, and coming back. And there's a lot of familiar, <laughs> familiar plays there, but also some really interesting uh, uh, programming that, you know, unfamiliar uh, maybe to, to most of you. I, I will say we didn't do it. We used to do a top 10 list. We used to do a list of call the data from the, from the, all, all the season listings and, and see whose play was going to get the most productions. We did that for decades. Um, there's not quite enough to do it this time. I can sort of give you a little scoop here that the surely the most produced play that we saw pop up in our listings is Lloyd Suh's The Chinese Lady, which played in New York a couple of years ago and then was about to open at Long Wharf when the shutdown happened. In fact, Lloyd Suh was one of our first uh, off-script guests in this, in this Facebook format. And we had him on to talk about, you know, the interruption of his production and what he was going to do as a playwright. Um, I'll just say this is season preview issue also had a wonderful, uh, essay based on a speech that Dan O'Brien, a playwright, uh, gave analogizing sort of the, the, the difficulty of this moment of moving forward into a, a future that might be really transformed, but is very uncertain, um, and analogizing that to the difficulty of second acts, writing, writing the second act. You, you, we have the situation, now what's next? Um, uh, that's a beautiful piece that I, I, I couldn't have written better myself. I wrote a sort of framing like, what's up with the season. But if you want to sort of have a thoughtful look at sort of where we're at as a theater culture and as a culture, Dan's piece is a great place to start. There's other things to talk about too, though, JR. What else is in that issue? Yeah, we also, you know, that's kind of the the industry look, but we we also took a, a chance to talk to a whole bunch of artists in a, in a variety of different ways. Uh, my article looked at a question that I had been asking people for months, really. I've been asking people since probably January or February, just asking artists of color if they had actually seen change in the industry with theaters, if they had actually seen change thanks to all these these pushes for better working conditions, more equitable conditions uh, in the industry. And the answer a lot of times was no. And so with, with how fervent that push has been, I wanted to see, okay, so if the answer is no, if you haven't seen that change, what is it going to take for you to feel comfortable going back into these theater spaces as theaters start reopening? And the the simple yet complicated answer wound up being, there's, there's this gap of trust. Like a lot of artists just have don't have the faith that that theater, theater leaders and theater institutions are making change and, and there needs to be a conversation about like an actual heart to heart in some form. Uh, the thing that uh, was kind of the crux of this is Jesse Cameron Alec did a, a survey of 70 prominent theater artists around the industry who all seemingly said the exact same thing that they, they haven't seen change, but theater leaders that he interviewed said that they were actively trying to change. So the only way to bridge that gap is conversation, but 
right now it's hard to find where how to how to have that conversation and where that conversation can happen. Uh, so my article kind of dives into different ways that conversation can hopefully happen as theaters start to reopen. And then in addition to that, we had um, a piece that that looked at the current RLC, uh, Rising Leaders of Color cohort, uh, and talked to them about their views on the industry, uh, which is very insightful because that group is always so well selected by TCG. And those are, of course, the next leaders of, of this industry. And then we also had a series of mini profiles looking at seven different artists in different roles, kind of our roll call series, but a little, a little more in depth for each person. So uh, highly recommend checking out all of those, especially if you're curious what artists are thinking right now uh, as the seasons, uh, the next season is about to start. Yeah, I would say uh, the, the, the picture is mixed, obviously, and we're, we're at a time where we thought at one point we'd be celebrating this triumphant return. And obviously, you know, life is more complicated than that. I will say, speaking for myself, but I think I've heard this from other folks, folks we've spoken to, speaking to the artists, nothing against institutions. We're part of an institution. We run one and we know how difficult it is to run an institution. Um, the artists always inspire me when I talk to them, uh, when I, when I uh, hear what's on their mind, even what's, what's troubling them. Um, those have been the conversations that have been, you know, kept us going over the and in normal times, they keep us going, keep us interested in the theater. But uh, in these hard times, they've especially kept us going. Um, I would just say there's a couple other sort of uh, think pieces, essays in this in this season preview package. One of them uh, by Jared Mazzocchi, um, who is a digital uh, theater artist um, and advocate. Uh, if you are on Twitter at all and you're in the theater, theater Twitter, he's very uh, vocal about uh, the need for theaters who many of them um you know pivoted to digital in an opportunistic way and you know understandable way like let's put some let's put some reading on zoom let's turn that play we're going to do into a radio play uh he 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 saw real potential in that he staged one of the geffen playhouses um they did do a whole season of, of digital work called the geffen Stayhouse, um and he did one of those works uh and he, he, he just doesn't want us to lose the thread. Uh, he saw a real opportunity um, for a new way of working, um, not necessarily re to replace a live in-person in-venue performance, but as a, as a, a hybrid, uh, you know, and as an extension of that. So I think that's a, it's a, it's a good piece. It, it's basically, if you follow him on Twitter, it can be a little maddening because it's, it's constant and there's, you want him to unroll the tweets because he's these long threads. I thought, let's have him write a manifesto where it's all there in one place. So I think hopefully that's a service to the field to see and put all that energy into one place and maybe make some change. Relatedly, as theaters uh, and theater producers, uh, you know, tried new forms, uh, a writer who writes for us, Christian Lewis, uh, they uh, wrote, uh, they've been experimenting over the past year with doing live tweet reviews of various, uh, you know, the Ratatouille TikTok. Uh, they were joking about the, the their first was actually uh, the Andrew Lloyd Webber Love Never Dies. I guess that was broadcast at some point. And that's a sort of a guilty pleasure that Christian talks about um, that they love. Anyway, uh, they they sort of culminated the experiments uh, with a uh, live tweet at an actual performance of Seven Deadly Sins. It was a outdoor 
roving production of short plays in the meatpacking district in New York, which I also attended. And Christian had themselves sit, asked to sit in the back out of people's view and tweet. And I, I was actually following, I think I was on Twitter at the time and I, I followed their review and that was fascinating. Obviously, there's a lot of questions about how would this work? How would this scale uh, for Broadway, for other theaters, you know, when there's people around you? Christian doesn't claim to have an answer for all of that, but their main point is to get us to think about different forms of criticism, just the way that theater is thinking about different forms. So that is a, a fascinating, entertaining, sort of modest proposal. Um, and I would love to talk to some other critics about it. And so we're happy to have today with us to look forward to the season. It was hard to think of a, any one artistic director or artist who could sum up the season. So let's talk to people like us whose job it is to see theater, write about it. We have with us today, Maya Phillips, critic at large for the New York Times, and David John Chavez, also a bit of a critic at large. You write for San Jose Mercury News and also for American Theater and other publications. David, Maya, it's good to have you with us today. Thanks, Rob. Um, Thanks, Rob. So, you know, I think we could start by looking back a little bit before we look forward and just tell us a little bit about what this past 18 months has been like as a, I know Maya, you started as a critic at large not long before that, and you were hoping to do a lot of theater. And um, David, you've written a couple of pieces for, for us from the Bay Area about, about what's happening there. But Maya, why don't you tell us first, what, what, what has these last 18 months been like as a, as a critic? I mean, it's, it's been bizarre. Like you said, I, I came into the Times ready to, you know, for like the kind of old model of criticism where I'm like seeing a show every day, I'm just filing those reviews and it was very much not that. <laughs> so it shifted to, it's interesting because I could, I can remember very clearly the shift of like early in the pandemic, there being kind of a very spare uh, amount, like smattering of digital productions. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, well, I'll, good thing I'm a critic at large. I will just focus on like movies and TV and other things that are still going for this meantime while I wait for like theater to come back. And just over the course of like that first summer, I remember just things kept sprouting up. Like people started like getting a handle of the technology. People started being like, uh, oh, these are other, there's other ways I could do. I, I remember I, I reviewed a VR opera something like there was there was various ways around the isolation that we were all facing and that became the new normal that like several nights a week I was just sitting in my bedroom watching shows and reviewing them and now it's oddly it's just like kind of strange to have to go back to theaters <laughs> like <laughs> I was waiting for it for so long and I enjoy it but man, I can't sit on the train anymore. It's like even like the usual commute back and forth to Times Square. I'm like, I did this several times a week? God. Uh, David, was, was your experience also similar? You, I, I don't know if you were mainly, we were mainly focused on theater. Is that right? Um, but yeah. did you write about other things in the past year? I have. Um, I, I did, I did some features. I did, I did a, a cover story for Quill Magazine um, about a, 
um, coincidentally, a, a, a journalist um, in Chinatown in San Francisco that um, basically during the pandemic started her own newspaper with her life savings. And, uh, you know, and a lot of it was driven by the desire to keep the Chinese community informed. Um, a lot of the older residents in Chinatown that, you know, were staying in their homes and she just kind of took it upon herself to, to do that. So um, I had, you know, done some things differently theater wise. Um, my, my original kind of entry into um, journalism was, was general assignment. So I was like on the night beat and covering crime and, you know, shootings and killings and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, writing other things was, was not uncommon and I would freelance in, in features, but as far as the past year, it's, I mean, it's been, it's, it's been kind of everything. It's been inspiring. It's been frustrating. Um, you know, you're inspired by artists who are completely reinventing themselves, um, seeing the entire art form kind of reinventing itself. Um, and then, you know, last year with all the kind of uh, things that were surrounding the, the George Floyd murder um, and how that impacted theater and the language we use going forward, the what equity is, um, all those types of things. Um, and then, you know, Maya and I had a really cool connection because we were both part of the first ever Zoom 2020 uh, National Critics Institute cohort. So uh, we were we spent a week together and we were like in every group together for, for you know, to work with all these different writers around the country. So um, and then we got to spend time and, and hang out in Connecticut, you know, uh, like last month, I think I think it was. So uh, so, you know, and, and all of my pieces that I've written for American theater have been in these past, you know, 18 months. So it's it's kind of been everything. It's been exciting. It's been challenging. It's It's been sad to see kind of what has happened to a lot of spaces that didn't make it out. Um, mm -hmm. and, and just, you know, just being in, in this environment. So, you know, kind of everything, really. Yeah, I mean, in general, we, we, we often, it's not even a joke anymore, just people wonder, Gosh, what do you write about when there's no theater per se? I have, a, there is theater of, of different kinds, but there's no shortage of things to write about. That's when one thing that's been great, but also kind of crazy about this past year. There's so much on people's minds and so much, so many things to talk about. Uh, and we had an opportunity to do so. Um, so looking forward, um, you know, we can go all around in the group here. I know JR, you're based in Chicago. We're trying to represent all the coasts here, including the third coast, right? The Chicago. Um, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about, you know, I think we know since people have been following us what the last year has been like, and we talked about that. What are you looking forward to in Chicago? What are people saying there that's really, you know, what's the conversation? Uh, you know, it's it's been a mixed bag between uh, the people who are, like ready to go, like Goodman's been ready to go since summer. They've been, they've been on it. Um, and there, then there are still people who we got a season announcement today from a theater that's not going to open till January. So it's still kind of a mixed bag. Uh, I am back to reviewing for the Tribune and it still feels like every review I go out to is like that kind of, oh, everybody's back, I guess, sort of feel. Um, so it's it's a lot of a lot of nervous energy. It, it feels a lot more uncertain than it seems like. Like reading about uh, Broadway, all the Broadway productions reopening feel a lot more assured than how some of the productions here have felt. Um, I wonder if that'll change. Uh, I just filed a piece for the Tribune about rent the rent tour uh, reopening Broadway in Chicago. So I'm curious if that feeling will change with some of these bigger productions coming back but right now it's still 
feels a bit tentative and a lot of like the smaller productions are, are kind of leading the way with, you know, the occasional Goodman stepping out there and doing something big. So we'll see. We'll see. I should go around and ask everyone. We've all been to a few productions. I've been to a couple in person, indoors. But I think it's true in all the cities that we, we work in that vaccines are required, right, of all audiences, and then masks as well, right? I mean, I, I, I've got an unvaccinated eight-year-old at home. I'm not going to go anywhere that doesn't require that. Even I've been to some film screenings and music performances, but it's got to always have that. So that's a given. Although that doesn't, you know, that's reassuring to a certain extent, but it's obviously, it feels weird. <laughs> I hate to, hate to complain about it, you know, but it feels, it's, it's a weird feeling. And, you know, not everyone around the country is, is doing that. Some of the theaters that we, that we write about are making it work with other protocols. Um, you know, and it's not, yeah. it's not like a guaranteed comfort I've found, at least yeah. for me. Like uh, when I went to the Neo Futurist show the other day, sitting in their their lobby space, which is just like a room with like 40 other people crammed inside, uh, it still felt a little like I'm vaccinated. Everybody had to be vaccinated to get in. You had to wear a mask the entire time, but it was still a little, wow, I'm really close to a lot of people, uh, <laughs> which faded away like once once you like got to a seat and were sitting down, but that lobby where everybody's just kind of milling around and and talking was so anxious, but, you know. Yeah, that's the part. I guess even when I was thinking, when we were thinking about going back to theaters, uh, when, when things looked more hopeful before the Delta variant sort of crushed a lot of people's optimism about that, I hadn't really thought through, like, what's going to be like to be crowded in a, a subway train or, or in a lobby or in a, you know, uh, and it's obviously a little, feels a little fraught now, you know. Uh, I don't know, Maya, if, if, if and David, if you feel it felt the same way, I know Maya, you talked about the wrenching yourself back to the commute and like in-person theater, but is, is this sort of COVID part of the, you know, you're looking around social distancing, all that stuff. It's weird because I'm such a anxious person, but like <laughs> with COVID, I feel like my brain doesn't know how to process it. It's like, I, I typically don't worry. Like sickness is, thankfully not went on my list my very long list of anxieties but <laughs> but I'm still obviously concerned about it like I don't want to get you know someone else sick or anything like that right. Right. and I'm also just an introvert and I I didn't like crowds before so <laughs> <laughs> I I never like people to be too close like David knows this too <laughs> but it's so funny that like I will have, it'll just be alternating between these moments of like pure joy of being in there again. And then like small moments of panic where I'm like, oh, there's just like, like, you know, JR, you were saying like, there's just too many people here. And mm -hmm. I've found myself getting taken out of the performances because I'm like policing the people around me. Mm -hmm. Like if, you know, a guy is like fiddling with his mask next to me, I'm like this, like in the corner, like staying away. And then the other day I was at a show and the guy in front of me, he was, he had his like mask half hanging off his face for half for part of the show. And I kept, I just like was so tense looking at that and thinking about that. And again, everyone's vaccinated, but you know, that's not a hundred percent. Like you can mm. still obviously get COVID with the, with the variant. <laughs> just... 
Yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I had the, I had a very similar um, experience because one of the first shows that I had made it back to was the first performance of Passover on Broadway. So um, I don't I don't know um, if I remember an energy like in the in all the shows I've been to in New York. Maybe the last time I experienced that level of energy was in 2016 when I saw the revival of Color Purple. Um, just people were just screaming the entire time. And it really was one of those situations where, you know, every seat was full. I mean, the moment you walk in, people are screaming for the playwright. People are screaming for the actors. They were so locked in, uh, you know, as an audience that, you know, if, if you were had any anxiety whatsoever about this, you know, it's almost like, let's throw you into this fire. And then you're going to, you know, after that, you know, any show I go to now in the Bay Area, I haven't you know, attended anything in like any of our really big houses. But, um, you know, for the most part, a lot of the smaller houses have enough uh, empty seats where it's not really an issue. It's not really a problem, um, you know, but but a lot of theaters are just coming back and they're coming back with all these different rules. It is very comforting to know that most of our spaces, especially in San Francisco, where they have a lot more mandates that um, you have to be vaccinated, you have to show your vaccine card at the door. Um, so, you know, of course, nothing's foolproof, but that definitely provides a certain level of comfort to know that everybody in this space um, has all the same mindset in terms of, you know, their approach to vaccination. So that part has been really comforting. And we're in a very high vast, uh, a very high vax uh, region. You know, I think we're at like just in our county alone and where I'm at, I'm in Santa Clara County, we're at like 73 percent. Mm. So we're in the 70s just across the board in the Bay Area. So it's that's helpful. Yeah, I would say, you know, I've able to I'm able a little bit, like you said, my, I'm able to sort of flip the switch and go, I don't have to worry about this for the duration of this performance. I might get taken out of by other things. Like, you know, I, I think there was a tweet. I don't know if it was the same performance of Passover uh, that you were at David, but um, Helen Shaw was at an early one, a press preview. And she tweeted, I don't, she, I don't think she named the performance. Everybody knew what she was talking about because uh, other people were there. The horror of hearing someone cough like a couple of rows over and just call, keep coughing and just everyone just <laughs> stops the performance uh, in a way that, uh, you know, coughs were annoying before, but now they're like, you know, I don't want to say life or death, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange experience. I think we're going to ease back into it, I, I guess. And I hope, let's knock, there's wood here, um, that the numbers come down and that there's not major outbreaks. Uh, you know, like the, the, we had, I don't know if you saw the piece in the Times that Laura Collins Hughes wrote about her trip to the West End and getting COVID while she was there because they don't have vaccine mandates and they don't really seem to police the mask very much. Um, these are never one-to-one -one things, but it seems like that's, that's not a great idea. <laughs> um, so I wanted to look forward a little bit. We all, you know, uh, I'm kind of terrible at scheduling my, my, my theater going, but one thing that helps me is these listings in, in that come to me at American Theater and that we that we have on on, on the site. And I just want to I'm going to mention just a few productions that are I'm interested in. I don't know if I'll get to go to them, um, but one thing that one thing that's interesting. The first production I want to mention is it's opening soon, and they're going to stream and do it live. Uh, it's going to be part of the part of the deal. It's a and this is not a, this is not a TV show I followed at the time, but Linda Bloodworth Thomason's Designing Women the popular sitcom, they're doing a stage version in Arkansas, where she's from, at Theater Squared in Fayetteville. Um, it's opening soon. Carmen Cusack and Amy Pitts are in it, and they're going to stream it. Uh, I think that's fascinating in itself. 
who knows if it's going to be successful. It's not a musical, but it is a stage version of the the play. It's actually actually fascinating to think it 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 might suit very well to a screen because that that's the format that it was originally designed for. So that that's sort of a high profile um, production, certainly one of the more high profile pro productions that Theater Squared, which is a, a a wonderful little theater in in uh, northern Arkansas. Um, that's doing it. and and I believe Linda Budwell Thomas, who's from Arkansas, is involved in the production, is, is staging it. So I'm sure they have they have some uh, plans for for New York in mind. Um, uh, let's see. There's a couple of musicals out of town that are really exciting. In November um, one is Head Over Heels at Pasadena Playhouse. They just cast the cast uh, looks amazing, and it's Sam Pinkleton and Jenny Coons who are two. Often, often New York-based artists are going to do a version of it, which I'm sure is going to be amazing. Pasadena Playhouse did a little shop uh, last year, two years ago, two years ago, obviously not last year, that had MJ Rodriguez and was a radical take on it. They seem to be positioning themselves as a very forward, uh, forward-thinking musical theater um, uh, producer. I'm excited about that. And the other one is uh, Woolly Mammoth's uh, production of Strange Loop, which they're saying is Broadway-bound. Couldn't be happier about that. That obviously we that happened at Pasadena or sorry Playwrights Horizons in New York a couple of years ago, made a sensation, won the Pulitzer. Um, I don't think there's any new take on it, but you don't need a new take. That's a it's already a pretty radical and fascinating uh, musical. So love to see that again. Maybe make it to DC for that, but in any case, it might make it to New York. The other two I want to mention, they're kind of grouping them by theme. Uh, in February, there's a, a piece called Ocean Filibuster that uh, Lisa Demore is doing at, at American Repertory Theater. She's a fascinating artist uh, who ventured into straight, you know, uh, straight ahead playwriting with plays Detroit and uh, Paradise. What was it called, JR? It was at Steppenwolf. It was about New Orleans. I can't remember the name of it. But she's uh, she made her bones as, a, as an installation artist. And this is a piece about climate change that she's doing. I think it's Pearl DeMore. It's with her partner, Lisa Pearl and, uh, oh gosh, Katie Pearl. Sorry, Katie Pearl and Lisa DeMore. Ocean Filibuster, that's in February at American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And the other one in April at a, at a theater in Alaska called Cyrano's by Chantal Bilodeau, who's written for us a number of times about climate change in theater. She has a play called No More Harveys. And so it's billed as a one woman show. I guess she's performing it herself. It's not clear from the website whether she's performing it herself, but it's a one woman show about climate change. Those two look interesting. Um, at the very least, we wanna write about those if I can't actually uh, make it to see them. Um, going around, uh, uh, Maya, is there something that you're especially excited about uh, to see or to, to write about or consider? Um, well, I mean, I'm excited about all the black plays they're coming to Broadway. Um, it's it's really exciting to see also, I mean, within that, just the variety, mm. like the fact that there is an, um, and there, the fact that there's like an Alice Childress play yeah. coming, like that's, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. And also just generally, like just getting to see the things that I was scheduled to see, but never got to see because things shut down before. Like mm -hmm. I only saw six this week because that was one of the ones that I was scheduled to see and I was all psyched and then things <laughs> shut down. So it's been great just like catching up on that stuff. And hopefully I get to see uh, some stuff that I saw before the pandemic too, like 
I know Dana H is coming back with uh, Is This a Room? And Dana H just like broke me <laughs> like that was such a stunning play. So I'm glad that that's back too. <laughs> yeah, I'm eager to see that one again, actually. Um, David, what, what's, what's, what are you looking forward to on the West Coast or anywhere? Well, um, I think the biggest, like this upcoming, uh, this upcoming year, the 21, 22 season, the biggest world premiere that we have going on in the Bay Area is uh, at ACT, American Conservatory Theater. And that's uh, the world premiere of Soul Train, the musical. So, wow. you know, definitely look, it's Dominique Morceau. So that should be a really exciting thing. And, you know, the other thing I think happens a lot with, with Bay Area, and I, and I follow New York pretty closely, and I'm on you know, the press list for Broadway shows and stuff. I can't get to stuff, but it, you know, I keep up with it pretty much, but we do have a lot of FOMO out here because we see like <laughs> everyone else is getting all these incredible shows and when are we going to get it? When are we going to get a production of it? So um, the other night I was at a production of a Chicago based playwright, Isaac Gomez. He wrote a play called the displaced and it was phenomenal at a, at one of our smaller theaters um, called crowded fire. Um, and as far as just other stuff that's coming through, um, Berkeley Rep has a couple of big things. Um, Sanctuary City by Martina Mayok. And uh, we're finally getting a production of Cambodian Rock Band by Lauren Yee. So uh, I've had to read about everybody else watching that thing for the last six months. It's like, come on, give us one, too. Because uh, she's local. She's from San Francisco. Um, and then uh, another great. one, FOMO-wise, Fefu and her friends uh, at ACT as well. Um, and then uh, Sean San Jose, who's taking over as the artistic director at the Magic Theater. Um, he, uh, his first season is uh, going to be coming up. So on October 6th, he's having his um, his announcement as far as what the season's going to be. So I'm really excited to see, you know, what what's going to come from there. And then it, just as far as touring stuff. And um, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see lots of different um, original casts in New York. So I'm really excited for the Bay Area to finally see the band's visit. Um, mm. And I'm really, really excited for the Bay Area to experience um, Oklahoma. Um, the, the the newer production because the the weekend I saw it I saw it on a Thursday night and it messed me up the whole weekend any New York City playlist I had went out the window because all I did was listen to Oklahoma because I had never seen it I didn't have much experience with it other than oh, maybe yeah. a song or two so yeah. that was my first experience seeing it and I just could not get enough of it so to this wow. day it's, I sing along so hard with it so um, so to have the to have those shows come through the Bay Area for the Bay Area audiences to experience those it's going to be really exciting. Can I just ask you real quick? Uh, I know well, one show that's going the other direction, as far as I know, at Paradise Square, I mm -hmm. believe, which played it was, a, I think, Berkeley. It was a Berkeley rep, yes. And that's going to, I can never, sometimes uh, press releases say Broadway bound and there's no dates and you're not sure if that's really actually happening or aspirational. I mean, with the produ producers involved, I think it is coming to Broadway. I'm not sure when. It is, yes. Um, so could you, you saw that, right? That, that, I you did. You have a chance to see that first before it came. I did. I didn't love it. I really right. liked it. Um, the, yeah. the choreography is fantastic. Um, right. I'm curious, but you know, it's one, one of those things that whenever you have something that develops out here, I'm always curious yeah. to see what kind of changes are going to be incorporated. Like mm -hmm. another show that didn't get a ton of love here um, was what the constitution means to me from Heidi Shrek. Okay. And that, cause that also played at Berkeley rep. That's right. And then it got to Broadway and it just exploded. And, it, and, it, and I saw it like, you know, on Amazon or whatever it was. And there were changes and it was mm -hmm. fantastic. So um, I am curious to see, you know, specifically about Paradise Square, what um, changes are going to be incorporated and how that's going to manifest into the Broadway production. 
Right. Yeah. No, I know that there's a what Passing Strange and American Idiot, a bunch of shows. Yes. Started out there that, that uh-huh. made it to. Um, Chicago is often a tryout town, but it's also its own town. So tell me, it's its own city. It doesn't need other cities. Um, <laughs> what are you looking forward to in the Chicago realm? Well, I mean, Paradise Square is one that I'm looking forward to. I'll probably wind up trying to see it twice because of those changes, usually. When okay. those pre-Broadway things come through Chicago, if you see it the first night, you see it a couple weeks later. It's a vastly different show. People love yeah. the changes in the city. So, um, yeah, that's one I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. Um, but also Steppenwolf's entire season, like starting with Bug coming back, which oh, yeah. uh, Chris Jones and I both kind of agreed that if uh, the minutes wasn't going to Broadway, Bug probably should have gone to Broadway uh, for a Tracy Let's Play, but we don't need two Tracy Let's Plays on Broadway, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, Namir Smallwood and Carrie Coon, very excited to see them back on stage doing that play. It, it crushed me. <laughs> it uh, made me very uncomfortable for, for a good long while afterwards. But, um, and also their pro- production of Seagull in April uh, which will be the first main stage production in their new round theater, uh, which I had a chance to get a sneak preview of, which is going to be one of those theaters that's like a true designer playground. Like it's outstanding. Like it's so cool. And if you're a lighting designer, a set designer, I, I can't imagine there's anything you cannot do in that space. Mm. Um, it's just so well-crafted and so much fun. Um, so I'm really excited to see how productions come together in that space um and then less on the excited and more on the curious uh the the new musical for the notebook is gonna open here in chicago and chicago shakes uh so i'm very curious it's got music and lyrics by ingrid michelson so i'm like okay let's see what this is gonna be you know six you know six got its got a little start here at chicago shakes too so you never know. I'm willing to give it a benefit of the doubt for now. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what exactly that decides to wind up being. And uh, we're getting, uh, Writer's Theater is getting the world premiere of Wife of a Salesman by Eleanor Burgess, which had a couple readings at the Alley and then the Civilians did some workshopping of it as well. Um, but that's finally getting a world premiere co-production with Milwaukee Rep. Uh, which follows like Linda if she confronted Willie's mistress and it's um, a combination of like taking that original story and then I think Eleanor Burgess's like personal experience with her grandmother I think it is Hmm. Um, which just sounds interesting I just want to see what this winds up being because you know uh, of all the things everybody said about the niceties uh, which Eleanor Burgess wrote uh I'm interested to see how she takes on that conversation. And then one I'm writing about for us coming up is Othello at Court Theater, uh, which they're doing an 80, an 80 person house for like and doing seating on the stage, which is just not done a lot here in Chicago. So that's gonna be fun. And that's one, you mentioned it earlier, but that's one that uh, it's the theater doing both in-person and virtual productions for it. So they're offering audiences a choice. So, hmm. yeah, those are the, the big ones in my mind here in Chicago. Yeah, I just forgot to, not, not to overload. I, I, one, I, one I'm probably going to write about, I'm very excited about, is this new staging of Twilight 
uh, Los Angeles 1992 uh, Anna Devere Smith play at Signature. And I was decided for a specific reason. I, mean, I would lived in LA at the time of the, the LA riots and, and that play. And I remember reviewing it at the time. I'm that old actually. Uh, um, and you know, loving it. I think there was some skepticism, like who's this out 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 of town or coming to LA to 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 tell us about ourselves? But it, it was a brilliant play. Um, about ten years later, Oregon Shakespeare Festival announced they were going to do the play with a full cast, like part of what Anna Devere Smith does, or like one of the main things she does. Vincent Cunningham had a wonderful piece about this in New Yorker. Is put her is she puts her body and her voice at the service of the story in a way that's very unique to her. And it almost seems to be that's part of the meaning of the plays. But last year's Signature Theater, um, so that Oregon Shakespeare Project production never happened. I'm never, I always wondered why. JR, you've told me you did a college or high school production of Twilight. Yeah, we did it in high school where, right. I mean, we all took on a few different parts because you don't want to give a high schooler that entire play. That'd be nuts. <laughs> um, so we all took on a few different, and it worked, but I, I do think it, it kind of changes the way the play hits if it's not. Right the same person kind of embodying all those different roles. Yeah, but it's just a series of monologues. So anyway, so Signature Theater is doing it with, I think, a five-person cast. So they're obviously sharing the rest of the roles around. I'm just fascinated by the by that and also by the maybe the sense that Anna DeVere Smith wants to sort of pass these plays on as literature. They, they have been done. Fires in the Mirror has also been done a lot of different places, including at the Signature last year with, with, uh, with a male actor doing all the parts. So they're, they're you know, there was no question that they were literature. This is often debate about theater. Like, is it is it theater? Is it performance or literature? It's both. And even if it doesn't, you know, work or 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 live forever, I think theater has a lives in the moment anyway. So anyway, um, I w speaking of living in the moment and theater, I I don't know if you had a chance to read Christian Lewis's piece about Twitter criticism, either of uh, Maya or David, but um, and I could sum up the, the thesis of it. But they, I wonder if. Yeah, you know you're both on Twitter. In fact, uh, Christian did did mention your presence on Twitter, Maya, as being, uh, you know, someone who comments. I've talked to critics a lot about this, about, and I'm on there myself, uh, to the extent to which you you can do criticism there. You know, do you feel like you you feel free to to be a critic on on Twitter, or do you feel like it's maybe it's not the best place to to try and do <laughs> a hospitable I hate Twitter. I really do. It's just a terrible place. Just like people shouting in space at each other. Like they're like, I'm like, you're not even listening to each other. You're just like shouting at each other, you know, and yeah. just being a critic there is, uh, that's what I, I think it would be different if people actually engaged in in a generous and you know like respectful way but a lot of what you get is just just because there's so much out there you're like in the middle of the internet with just no armor <laughs> and like people just just come to the attack and i'm i'm saying this cuz i'm like i'm especially sensitive i know i'm new at the times and it's like a bigger platform and so and I write about nerd culture a lot, which means that I get a lot of trolls and mansplainers and just people being nasty and it gets tiring. So I, I, you know, give a lot of thought before I post any kind of, even like a small comment, but like, oh, I like this or like, here, here's my review. 
you know, I had some problems with this and people just like, they take it so personally. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I didn't insult your family. I, <laughs> I'm just writing. This is literally my job. Like, <laughs> I, That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, in an ideal world, there will be actual discourse, but people I don't think are really interested in that or, or, you know, that's, that's a generalization of course, but right. There's so many people on Twitter. It just, a lot of people aren't there to have real conversations. <laughs> sure. I wanted to ask one thing, one, one more question of you, Amaya. Do you feel, you obviously see a difference between uh, the subject matter. And I'm wondering if when you tweet about Shang-Chi versus when you tweet about, you know, Manhattan Theater Club, it's probably different, there's different, you know, uh, level of response, right? Oh, of course. I'm glad that you said Shang-Chi too, because... <laughs> that was a, that was the most recent one that people were like you don't know what you're talking about you're terrible and you're racist because you don't like this movie starring a person of color yeah yeah i mean like <laughs> yes there's a much more violent reaction um with theater with theater twitter i find it more fun because i think people are shadier on theater Twitter because it's a yeah. smaller community. So they'd be like, <laughs> this one show with this playwright and everyone knows who you're talking about. Yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is pretty shady and gossipy. A lot of tea, I guess you'd say, right? Mm-hmm. How about, then, David, you, you I, I, I see you, your, your Twitter is mostly pretty upbeat, the, the stuff you share on Twitter, right? I mean, I, I'm similar too. Yeah, no, um, Twitter really seems to be just a necessary evil for writers. I mean, right. you know, I, I was, I remember having a conversation with uh, Soraya McDonald about, because uh, for me, I was like, you are one of the most active people I see on Twitter. And she said, you know, there's so many industry people on Twitter. You just don't know who who's going to read what, who's going to pick what up. You don't know what kind of, maybe some kind of jobs that you get from Twitter, Um you know, the, the Mercury News reached out to me and asked, you know, if I would be interested. I don't know what they saw or what they read or how they found me, but Twitter is just kind of a necessary evil. And and then and just as, as far as Christian's piece goes, um, it is, I think, something that's really kind of important about criticism going forward is criticism is always feels like it's always trying to reinvent itself in some way. Um, I remember four years ago, um, Jose Solis, um, he he loved Come From Away. It was like he, when I talked to him about it, he thought, I've seen that show like five times or and just loved it. So he did a review of the show, but his review was a video about him talking to people and those people saying nice things that people did for them. Um, and that was his review. So um could could a Twitter review work? Sure. I mean, it could. Um, everybody has kind of different, you know, ways they interact with Twitter. Um, it's 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 horrific for women, you know, women who have opinions on Twitter and just, you know, the amount of just, you know, vitriol you get coming back to you. It's just it's basically ridiculous. But um, there I think one thing that, you know, criticism is always trying to do is trying to find ways to engage new readers, to engage new followers, new, new um, people who are looking at theater as like um, something that's maybe feels contemporary and relevant to them. So um, if that's where kids are, I mean, Instagram could be a place to do reviews. Um, I don't think there's any one kind of set rule about it, but um, 
but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in theater and and you're writing and you're writing criticism, you know, you're you're probably on Twitter and you're probably sharing something or sharing certain thoughts and uh, and sometimes you can get a lot out of it and sometimes it's just noise. You know, it it just kind of all depends on how the people interact with it. Yeah, I mean, I I have indeed as an editor assigned stories based on like single tweets or tweet threads or in the case of Jared Mazzocchi, I mentioned earlier his uh, his near constant advocacy for video and digital theater. I'm like, I, I I wouldn't say I'm tired of reading on Twitter. I want to read it, but it's like, I want you to unroll that. I want, I want to see this as a piece, you know, it seems like there's a lot to say. Um, uh, and JR, I know you, you're, you're more of a Twitter skeptic as well. Um, I, I'm in, I'm in the necessary evil, but I, I tweet when I have to, my drafts are much more interesting than my actual <laughs> Uh, there's so much stuff that just doesn't get tweeted just because it's it's just a hassle that's not worth it most of the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm actually, you know, not to completely change, but like I'm more interested in the conversations that are happening on TikTok, which actually can kind of be a little more nuanced. I, I follow like random dramaturgy people and like theater history people and I've actually gotten more out of the conversations that happen there. It has a lot of the same issues with like the conversation being kind of flattened and not quite as, as deep as it could be, but, you know, with three minute videos rolling out and some of the people, especially some of the young people who are like advocates and like looking into history and how it plays into present day and the future of theater, I've actually gotten a lot out of out of how criticism can function on TikTok. And that's something hmm. that I'm kind of interested in, like how criticism could potentially live on that app. Like, could people, I mean, I see people all the time reviewing Marvel movies and like doing that whole thing, like reviewing Hollywood movies on there. And like theater could literally do the same thing um, and probably be just as productive as people making two, three TikToks about different aspects of a Marvel movie they just saw hmm. or like something like that. So I don't know. I'm I, as much of a general social media skeptic as I am, like if I could get rid of all of it, I would. Um, TikTok actually has me kind of interested a little bit. So I don't know. Interesting. I, I have not, I've not ventured into that. Do you think it has something to do with their, it's a person, it takes effort at, for one thing. You can't just tweet out a few characters and, and, and crap on somebody. You have to like make a video and, and show your face. I don't know, maybe because it's more personal. I don't know. I could, I could imagine. I think it takes, it takes a lot of planning. I think like a lot of the ones that I think are are really effective are well-written and like that, that Mm. could be an article. Like that's, uh, you clearly took time to write a script here and it's not, Mm. you know, I don't want to say all tweets are impulsive because I know a lot of people do put a lot of thought into their tweets, but like there's, there's clearly a lot of writing that goes into some TikToks and that, is interesting to me <laughs> that that that's how that's developing. I think I'm old enough to live through the blogosphere. So I, I, I was, there were theater blogs in about almost 20 years ago, you know, um, when I came, first came to New York and there was a sense of blogging being a, new, being a new format where you could say whatever. And you definitely, there were fights that happened and people slagging each other in the comments. And then podcasts also people talk about, I know Ezra Klein has talked about how he was also a blogger and then moving into podcasts there was a sort of freedom uh, to sort of just talk and it, it was more human, you know, it wasn't firing off little, you know, short bur- bursts at each other. So I think that 
you know, it's possible, including I'm not, not touting our own format we're talking here right now, but I feel like having the chance to spend some time talking about things, obviously you can induce, introduce more nuance and complication. Um, I think the idea that the, that the Christian was putting forward in their piece had something to do also with the idea of actually live tweeting something, which I have done on occasion. When the company album came out, the one from the New York or the London production with the female Bobby, for some reason I decided I'm going to live tweet my listen of it as if this is an event. <laughs> it was fun, but I will say, and it, 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 it does generate that sort of, you know, buzz that you get on Twitter when, oh, people are following it. People are, you know, I think that's the reason people will do it. As a writer and a maker of prose, it, it's, it's unnerving to sort of just do that, put my words out quickly that way in that format. I don't know if you, if any of you have tried that. Obviously you have jobs to actually review, review pieces with a couple hundred words or more. Um, and so maybe you don't have time or think about that would be worth doing, right? Uh, to live tweet the Tonys or live tweet, um, you know, something that's alive and happening. I think that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the idea. Not a recording of a, of a cast album, <laughs> which was just a little thing I did. Um, I don't know. Have any of you, have any of you tried that, that format? Kind of like. It, is it something where, um, like, it seems like it would have to be, like, if you're live tweeting a show, for example, like, yeah. how would you go about, you know, getting certain permissions and having well, yeah. a spot in the theater? I mean, that, that part, I think, makes it a little bit tricky. Um, it would be, I would be curious to watch if someone's watching a show live and, you know, I'd be people do it in movies all the time, but. It's like, how would, how, what would be the logistics of that? I, I think probably publicists and theater companies would have to be inviting that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I could only see it working with a certain kind of show. Like I would only do that with the show that I would very familiar with. Like I would, I would like live tweet Phantom or something like, cause mm. you know, if I already kind of, I know I don't have to focus on the plot and like the characters and stuff. I already know that. So I can just focus on the performances, but it's also, it's also, I think kind of dangerous because, you know, the thing that we're supposed to do is to take things in and have that moment of reflection. And you mm -hmm. don't really have much time to do that if you're responding right away and you might end up, I would be afraid for myself of being a little bit too unfair because mm -hmm. I frequently have, there are a lot of shows that I don't really like right off the bat, bat mm -hmm. or I don't know what's going on immediately and I have to kind of ease into it. And yeah. like, that would be unfair for me to like tweet that if it was, if I'm, if I'm experimenting like, oh, this, this is shit. Like what is, oh wait, am I allowed to curse on this? I don't even know. Of course, yes, it's fine. <laughs> okay. And, and then are. later it turns out to be like, oh, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning thing. Like, I love this so much. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will say, I, I will be having my first, not live tweeting, but live blogging, I guess, experience with the Tonys at the Times this Sunday. So I'll be doing that. Um, I don't know how that's going to go. We'll see. It's going to be my first time doing that kind of thing. Oh, wow. So you, you and Jesse going to do that or? Yeah. So that's like like when the when the when the impeachment was going on, the Times reporters have that live blog, which mm -hmm. yeah, can't help but follow it. Yeah, yeah, we've done that. We did that for the Emmys last last weekend. Last weekend, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> well, that that is one way to do it. I, I think I think, and also the idea that Christian floated was would uh, legacy 
organizations pay people to do that. Obviously, there are cases where it's like literally your job to be there. And, you know, it, I suppose it's not that different than if you were on broadcast reporter and you're like watching something or you're a sports commentator, like, oh, look at that play, you know, but it'd be strange, strange to do that for live theater. I like the idea of, of, of going to Phantom or something that's uh, it's almost like a mystery science theater, like just to, to watch it. And, and I know there's there's that genre of, of tweet threads of people watching a, an iconic thing for the first time and tweeting these long things about, I'm watching with my mom and they're hilarious. Maybe that's not exactly what you're talking about, but those. <laughs> no, but I, I like those. Yeah. Because those are fun. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's less at stake there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, I, I, I am all for other forms of criticism. Um, I'm also for, you know, the form where we get together and, and talk about it uh, like like we did today. Um, any parting thoughts you have about the coming season? I mean, we're there is a season. It's coming. <laughs> theater is happening. As I said in my my editorial, theater is happening, and we're here to cover it in spite of everything. You know. <laughs> um, I have liked. I have liked just to answer that. I have. I have. I have enjoyed the last few shows I've gone to. I have enjoyed walking back into those spaces and seeing mm. familiar faces. And it's, yeah. it's almost like this, Hey, we're here. And, and I, I, I don't know. I think I really have come to appreciate the resilience of theater people. Um, you know, the other night when I, when I went, um, there's like a pathway now, you know, you got to check in with the person with your Vax card, or your ID, and then you check it with the press person. And then, you know, the director's there. So I had this line of really cool people that I had not seen and even heard from in such a long time. So it's like, oh, hey. And, you know, so you give the elbows and the air hugs. So um, it just kind of, that just kind of felt good just to kind of walk back into familiar lobbies in the Bay Area and just be like, hey, we're back here and we're kind of doing what we used to do and and, and let's, let's be better as we go forward. So I have enjoyed that. I, I mean, similarly, as I said, I'm not a huge fan of too many people but um, uh, I'm, I, I'm such a curmudgeon, but um, I do, it is nice to kind of feel that energy again. Like I, when, you know, when I went to six that these people are online and they're like in basically six cosplay and, yeah. you know, they're like swarming the gift shop and it felt like it's been a while since I've had that kind of Broadway energy, you know, like, mm. like when I was a, like teenager seeing wicked or whatever you know it's 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 that kind of thing and then on the other hand something like you know i saw a sanctuary city this week too and just it was like a quieter energy at the lucille Lortel theater and but it was like people like they were all still through there was like a lot of like theater i think students in my in a line to get in and they were all like really thrilled they're all talking about other plays they're seeing they're like nerding out and it's 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 great to be a part of that to see to be like oh here we are here here are my people okay we're just, we're doing this again <laughs> uh, yeah I'm starting to feel it you're helping me feel it and speaking of, these are my people you are my people thank you Maya David and Jr and and thank you producer Anne Charlone um, I didn't make a pitch for TCG but uh, if you, if you like what we do please uh, consider donating and becoming a member of TCG to support our work at American Theater and at TCG. The season's here. I look forward to seeing you at the theater. Bye now. Bye.